Stand By for Places presents Big Love by Charles Mee, featuring Sydney Sainte as Lydia, Kelly Langton as Olympia, Sarah Moore as Theona, Kiara McCarty as Bella, Alexandra Kopko as Eleanor, Steve Ward as Piero, Johnny Langan as Giuliano, Justin Adut as Constantine, Austin Hall as Ed and Leo, and Mikael Farber as Nikos. Content warning. This play will include strong language and subjects of abuse, suicide, and self-harm that some listeners may find distressing. Lydia walks up the aisle, looking somewhat disoriented, carrying a wedding bouquet in a white wedding dress that is disheveled, a little torn in places, dirty in spots. She steps up onto the stage, goes to the bathtub, drops the bouquet on the floor, takes off all her clothes, steps into the tub, leans her head back against the rim, exhausted, and closes her eyes, her arms thrown back out of the tub as though she were crucified as we listen to the music finish playing. Giuliano steps onto the stage, a glass of wine in his hand. He is a young man, handsome, agreeable, and useless. He seems a little surprised to see Lydia there, apparently napping in the tub. This is Italy. Rose and white. If Emmanuel Ngaro had a villa in the west coast of Italy, this would be it. We are outdoors, on the terrace or in the garden, facing the ocean. Wrought iron, white muslin, flowers, a tree, an arbor, an outdoor dining table with chairs for six, a white marble balustrade, elegant, simple, basic, eternal. 100 olive trees and 300 wine glasses half full of red wine. It is midsummer evening, the long, long golden twilight. Hello. Hello. I'm Giuliano. Hello, Giuliano. And you are? Lydia. Lydia. I don't think we've met. No. You've just arrived. Yes. That's your boat offshore? Yes. A big boat. Well, it belongs to my family. You've come for the weekend? Yes. Oh, Yes, at least. You're friends of my sister. Your sister? My uncle? Your uncle. I don't mean to be rude, but who was it invited you? <laughs> invited us? You didn't come to the party? Oh, you mean, you're not a guest. Oh, 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 you mean, this is your home. Oh, I'm in, I'm in your home. Yes, uh, well, well, it's my uncle's house. It's so big. I thought it was a hotel. <laughs> we have a big family. I'm sorry, I just, I didn't. It's, a, it's okay. Where do you come from? Greece. Greece. Oh, you mean just just now? <laughs> yes. 
my sisters and I, we were to be married to our cousins and, well, we didn't want to, but we had to. So when the wedding day came, we just got on our boat and left. So uh, here we are. Just like that. Yes. Just walked away from the altar and sailed away from Greece. Yes. Where are we? Italy. This is Italy. Oh, Italy. <laughs> I love Italy. It's, well, yes, so do I. Oh, and your sisters are still on the boat? Yes, well, most of them. We came, uh, at least some of us came ashore. There are 50 of us all together. 15? 50. 50 sisters. <laughs> I, I, hmm, I don't think I even know anyone who has 50 sisters. I, you were all to get married to your cousins? Yes. To your cousins? Yes. Uh, we're looking for asylum. We want to be taken in here so we don't have to marry our cousins. You want to be taken in as immigrants? As refugees. Refugees. Yes. From... From Greece. Oh, I mean... Okay, from, you know, political oppression or war. Or kidnapping or rape. From rape. By our cousins. Well, marriage, really. Not if we can help it. I see. You seem like a like a good person, Giuliano. We need your help. I think you should talk to my uncle Piero. He has <clears throat> connections. Just stay right here. If you wait here, I'll bring him out. Oh, thank you. Giuliano leaves and she weeps and weeps. Two more young women in wedding dresses, Olympia and Fiona. Their wedding dresses, too, are of course white, but in different styles and in varying states of disrepair. Torn or dirty or wrinkled. Olympia carries the broken heel of a high-heeled shoe, and she walks up and down in a single shoe. The women enter without ceremony, dragging in a huge steamer trunk, struggling with it. Olympia goes to the bathtub, pulls up her dress, and sits on the edge with her feet in the tub. Fiona, meanwhile, unpacks wedding gifts from the trunk, plates and glasses and cups and saucers, and hurls the plates and cups and glasses with all her force against the wall, shattering them into a million bits. Bella, an old Italian woman in black dress and babushka with a basket of tomatoes, comes out. She drags out a simple wooden chair and a folding card table with her, which she sets up noisily. Scusi, eh? And she sits and starts sorting through her tomatoes, putting the nice ones to one side, shining them a bit first on her apron. Bella looks up at the young women. So, this is your wedding day? No. Ah, you are trying on your dresses because your wedding day is coming soon. No. No, we're not getting married. Ah, you have already been married. No. Ah, so it's none of my business. 
And yet, I can tell you, marriage is a wonderful thing. Imagine that. No husbands at your age. And children, when I was your age already, I had three sons. Now, I have 13 sons. 13 sons. My oldest, that's Piero, he stays home here with his mother. He's a good boy. She puts one polished tomato carefully, lovingly to one side, as though it were her own baby. But too old for you. We were hoping to meet Piero. We, we wanted to... My second son, Paolo, he lives just next door, a doctor. He takes good care of people here in town. Another polished tomato placed lovingly to one side. Married, five children, a good boy. Paolo is Giuliano's father. You met Giuliano? Yes, and, and he said we might be able to My meet. third son is in business here in town, visits me every week, every Sunday without fail, a good boy. Also married, four children. Another polished tomato tenderly to one side. Excuse me, but I... But my fourth was... son, he was a sweet child. Cherubic, such little cheeks, such a tender boy, a sunny disposition. She puts another tomato to one side, but too close to the edge so that it accidentally rolls off the table to the ground mm. where it splats. Oh. He joined the church. My fifth son, he also went into business here in town. She starts to put the polished tomato carefully to one side. My sixth son, he married a German girl. Splat. My seventh son, he went to America. Splat. Took his younger brother. Splat. And then, two years later, they sent for their brother Guido, and he went to America too. Splat. My tenth son, he became a politician. She holds the tomato out over the ground for several moments in deep anguish, then shrugs, and it splats. Excuse me, but... Um... My eleventh son, he is on television, on a soap opera, with the stories of love affairs, and God knows what not. She starts to drop another tomato to the ground, thinks better of it, puts it on the table. He's not killing people. No. My twelfth son is not killing anyone either, but he has his love affairs. He argues all the time with his wife. He keeps her like a tramp. He spends all his money going here and there for soccer games. She starts to drop another tomato. But a good man is hard to find. Thinks better of it, starts to put it with the others she has saved. That's so true. Still, he's always getting into fights. He comes home in the middle of the night. Starts to drop it again. Nobody's perfect. No. He loves his children. 
That's a good thing. My youngest son, he likes to ride the motorcycles. He likes to be in Roma with the young movie actresses and the parties. She starts to splat another tomato, then takes it back and puts it gently on the table. He's my baby. I see. So, what do I have left? Now you see why I love my Piero so much and want to protect him, my firstborn. Who is too old for you? You're staying for dinner? We haven't been invited. Piero, you should make them stay for dinner. They're good girls. Bella gathers her tomatoes into her apron. I never had daughters. Imagine that. Bella leaves. Giuliano, mi dispacima. Si, fa niente. Giuliano picks up a pail and rag and cleans up the mess Bella has made. May I offer you something? No, thank you. A glass of wine? No, thank you. No, thank you. Coffee? Tea? No, thanks. Something to eat? No, thank you. Actually, I don't know how to say this. I don't want to complain, but you don't seem to have a lot of products. Products? Soaps, you know, and creams. Things like... Olympia. You know, we've been traveling. And when you've been traveling, you hope at the end of the journey that you might find some, like, oil of Olay moisturizing body wash or, like, Glossier's boy brow. Olympia, that is... I know this is not a hotel, so you wouldn't have everything, but maybe some Cocoa and Eve like a virgin super nourishing coconut and fig hair mask. Olympia. Or some prescriptives uplift eye cream, not in the tube, firming. Map lip gloss in pink poodle. Just some things to make a woman feel, you know, fresh. Olympia. I'm afraid I don't know about these things, but I'll ask Giuliano to go out and see what he can find. Thank you. Really, we were just, we were mostly hoping to ask you to just take us in. Take you in? Your nephew, Giuliano, says you have some connections. Oh. And that you can help us. Well, of course, this is a country where people know one another, and Giuliano is right. Sometimes these connections can be useful. If, for example, you were a member of my family, certainly I would just take you in, but I don't know you. Oh. But uh, we are related. I mean, you know, in some way. So our people came from Greece to Sicily a long time ago and to Syracuse, and then from Syracuse to Taormina and to the Golfo di Sant'Eufernia, and then and from there up the coast of Italy to where we are now. So we're probably members of the same family, you and I. <laughs> Descendant from Zeus, you mean? Yes, we're all sort of goddesses in a way. Indeed, it is very enticing to recover a family connection to Zeus. And where is your father, meanwhile? Is he not able to take care of you? Our father signed a wedding contract to give us away. To your cousins from Greece. From America. They went from Greece to America, and now they're rich, and they think they can come back and take whatever they want. And the courts in your country, they would enforce such a contract? It's an old contract, so it seems they will. We have nothing against men. Not all of us. But what these men have in mind is not usual. 
<laughs> or else all too usual. You know, as it happens, I have some house guests here for the weekend, and I would be delighted if you would join us for dinner. Stay the night, if you like, until you get your bearings. But really, as for the difficulties you find yourself in, disagreeable as they are, and as much as I would like to help, this is not my business. Whose business is it if not yours? You're a human being. And a relative. A relative. This is a crisis. And yet, you know, I am not the Red Cross. And so? And so, to be frank, I can't take in every refugee who comes into my garden. Why not? Because the next thing you know, I would have a refugee camp here in my home. That would be nice. I don't think I can open my doors to the whole world. Look at you. You're a rich person. Okay, well, then, what if I were to say, yes, I can do my part? In fact, I'm not a bad person entirely. Some people even think of me as a generous person. And I can help, but why should I help you? Shouldn't I rather look around at the world and say, no, not these people, perhaps, but someone else that has the greater claim to my attention? But we're here. Yes. We are here on your terrace. Why do you look for someone else? I mean, look for someone else, too, if you want, but we are here. And yet I know nothing about this dispute. I don't know whether these fellows have some rights, too. What shall I do if they come to me and say, you've abducted our women? Give us our women or we'll shoot you. Shoot you? Well, what do I know? I don't know what sorts of fellows they are. I should put myself, perhaps, my life on the line knowing nothing? And also the life of my nephew, my, my brother next door, my brother's sons. I put their lives on the line for what? To save you whom I've never met before. I don't know what this is about. Why would I do this? Because it's right. I understand it may be right, but one doesn't always go around doing what's right. I, I've never heard of such a thing. The world is a complicated place. It's not that no one's ever said no to me, but I don't think I've ever asked a guy to save me in a situation like this and had him say no. There is only one question to ask. Do we want to marry them or not? No, we don't. Are you going to let them drag us away from your house and do whatever they want with us? Think of it this way. If you don't take us in, my sisters and I will hang ourselves here on your terrace. Fifty dead women hanging in front of your house. Hang yourselves. What choice do we have? Shall we ask your mother what she thinks would be right? You're right. Of course, you're right. I, uh, I beg your pardon. Of course I will take you in. I don't know what I was thinking. Thank you. I beg your pardon. Really. I wasn't quite absorbing what it was you were saying. I'll tell my mother you will stay for dinner, and then we will talk and see what's to be done. Please, make yourselves at home, and if there's anything at all you want, please ask. Now you see, there are men who are kind and decent. Not so kind and decent if he's not threatened with some kind of scandal of dead women hanging off of his house. I liked him. You should give a person the benefit of the doubt. <sighs> you think you found this man's good side. Men don't have a good side. 
I've known men who have a good side, Fiona. I've known men you could sit with after dinner in front of the fireplace and just listen to the way he speaks and hear the gentleness in his way of speaking and the carefulness. I've known men who think, oh, a woman. I'd like to take care of her. Not in any way that he thinks he is superior and has control, but in the way that he understands. A woman is a different sort of person and precious because of that. Vulnerable in certain ways because of that. In ways that he isn't. Although he might be vulnerable in other ways because of his stuff that he has. And that he treasures what a woman has. And thinks, oh, if only I could be close to her. And feel what she feels. And see the world as she sees it. How much richer my life would be. And so, because of that, he thinks, oh, a woman, I can really respect her and love her for who she really is. I know a man who will say, I want to take care of you, because he means he wants to use you for a while. And while he's using you so you don't notice what he's doing, he'll take care of you as if you are a new car before he decides to trade you in. I've known men like that, too. But not all men are necessarily the same. Sometimes you can hear the whole man just in his voice. How deep it is, or how frightened, or it stops to think. And how complex and supple and sure it is. You can hear the strength in it, and you can know that you're safe. The male. <sighs> the male is a biological accident. An incomplete female, the product of a damaged gene, a half-dead lump of flesh trapped in a twilight zone somewhere between apes and humans, always looking obsessively for some woman. That's maybe a little bit extreme. Uh... Any woman! Because he thinks if he can make some connection with a woman, that will make him a whole human being. But it won't. It never will. <laughs> Boy baby should be flushed down the toilet at birth. I know how you feel, Fiona. I've felt that way myself sometimes. Still, this man who doesn't even know us, who owes us nothing, doesn't know what he risks by offering us a place to stay. There are places in the world where refugees are taken in out of generosity. And often these are men who do the taking in. Because people have the capacity for goodness. And there could be a world where people care for one another. Where men are good to women, and there is not a men's history and a separate women's history, but a human history, where we are all together and support one another, nurture one another, honor one another's differences, and learn to live together in common justice, reconciling our differences in peaceful conversation, reaching out with goodwill towards one another. Stand up, stand up, stand away from the helicopter. Not trying to obliterate those who are not as we are, but learning to understand, learning to take deep pleasure in the enormous variety of creatures. She is on the ground toward the end of the speech, her head lifted up to the sky as she shouts her words, until finally she is hunkered down on stage, her hands over her head. Three guys have entered, Nikos, Constantine, and Ed. They wear tuxedos with flowers in their buttonholes, underneath flight suits, and as they enter, they are removing their ultra-high-tech flying helmets. Oh, Nikos, 
You found us. Lydia, why did you run away from us? What? We were waiting for you at the church. You can't force us to marry you, Nikos. Force you? We thought you were coming. Why should we? Because we were getting married. We never agreed to marry you. We have a prenuptial agreement, Lydia. We have a deal. We never had a deal with you, Constantine. Your father made a deal with my father before you were born, Thyona. You are engaged to me, and I am going to marry you. This is from the Dark Ages. Well, if there was some misunderstanding, we could probably... There was no misunderstanding. We are not marrying you. There is a contract involved here. My brothers and I, we've counted on this all our lives. And plus, I thought it would be kind of neat. A big wedding, 50 brides, 50 grooms, a real event. And we never agreed to release you from your promise. Why not? Because I am a traditional person, Thyona. I want a traditional marriage, a traditional wife. That's the way it is. It's a different world now, Constantine. You can't just marry someone against their will because there's been some kind of family understanding. What do you think? You think you live in a world nowadays where you can throw out a promise just because you don't feel like keeping it? Just because drugs are rife, gambling is legal, medicine is euthanasia, birth is abortion, homosexuality is the norm, pornography is piped into everybody's home on the internet. Now you think you can do whatever you want, whenever you want to do it, no matter what the law might say? I don't accept that. Sometimes I like to lie down at night with my arms around someone and know she is there for me. Know this gives her pleasure. My arms around her, her back to me. My stomach pressed against her back. My face buried in her hair. One hand on her stomach, feeling at peace. That's my plan to have that. I'll have my bride. If I have to have her arms tied behind her back and dragged to me, I'll have her back. What is it you women want? You want to be strung up with hoods and gags and blindfolds, stretched out on a board with weights on your chest? You want me to sew your legs to the bed and pour gasoline on you and light you on fire? Is that what I have to do to keep you? Lydia... Isn't this your wedding dress? Uh, yes. It seems you were ready to get married. The future is going to happen, Thyona, whether you like it or not. You say you don't want to be taken against your will? People are taken against their will every day. Do you want tomorrow to come? Do you want to live in the future? Never mind. You can't stop the clock. Tomorrow will take you by force, whether you like it or not. Time itself is an act of rape. Life is rape. No one asks to be born. No one asks to die. We are all taken by force all the time. You make the best of it. You do what you have to do. We have an uncle here, Constantine, and he is going to take care of us. I am an American now, Olympia. I'm not afraid of your uncle. Do you watch television? Do you see what happens when Americans want something? Excuse me. I am Piero. This is my house. And would you be the cousins of these young women? 
We're engaged to be married. I understand the women are no longer interested. We are not here to negotiate. That's a fortright position. I would like to know where I stand when I deal with a man. But before we talk, let me welcome you properly. Why don't you come into the house with me and we have a glass of something? What's your favorite cigar? Do you like a Cuban? A Vegas Robiana? A Partaglas? Is it? Constantine. Constantine. And you are? Ed. And? Nikos. Nikos, come with me. We'll have a glass of something, have a smoke, get things sorted out. I'd like that. Excuse us, ladies. Come with me. He leads them out. That bastard! What did I tell you? He's going to solve it peacefully. He's giving in, don't you get it? Oh, these men and their deals. Right. I mean, you could be right. I don't think he would do that. Sometimes a person can talk a good game, but when push comes to shove, they're weak right to the core. Except for Constantine. And except for me. I haven't given in either. This game isn't over till someone lies on the ground with the flesh pulled off their bones. Ugh! Men, you think you can do whatever you want with me. Think again. You think that I'm so delicate. You think you have to care for me. You throw me to the ground. You think I break? She throws herself to the ground. You think I can't get up again? You think I can't get up again? She gets up. You think I need a man to save my life? She throws herself to the ground again. I don't need a man. I don't need a man. She gets up and throws herself to the ground again and again as she yells. These men can fuck themselves. These men are leeches. These men are parasites. These rapists. These politicians. These breadwinners. She is throwing herself to the ground over and over, letting her loose limbs hit the ground with the rattle of a skeleton's bones. Her head lolling over and hitting the ground with a thwack, rolling over, bones banging the ground back to her feet and throwing herself to the ground again in the same way over and over. Olympia watches her and then joins in and starts throwing herself to the ground synchronously so that it is a choreographed piece of the two women throwing themselves to the ground, rolling around, flailing on the ground, banging angrily on the ground, rising again and again. These cheap pikers, these welchers, these liars, these double dealers, flim-flam artists, litterbugs, psychiatrists! These men. These men, all I wanted was a man who could be gentle. A man who likes to cuddle. A man who likes to talk. A man who likes to listen. Men who speak when they have nothing to say. These men should be eliminated. These men should be snuffed out. Who needs a man? Who needs a man? I'll make it on my own. I'm an autonomous person. I'm an independent person. I can do what I want. I can be who I am. And I don't think it's wrong to lie in the bath and curl my hair and paint my nails to like my clothes and think they're sexy and wear short skirts that blow up in the wind. I don't think it's wrong for a man to love me, to like to touch me and listen to me and talk to me and write me notes and give me flowers because I like men. I like men and I like to be submissive. Why, Why can't, can't a man, a man, man be, more be more like, like a, a woman? woman? Plain spoken and forthright, honest and clear, able to process, to deal with his feelings, to speak from the heart, to say what he means, because if he can, I don't have a grudge or something against him that we couldn't work out. I, I think it's wrong to make sweeping judgments right off a whole sex the way men do to women. We could talk to each other person to person, get along with each other, and then we could go deep to what a man or a woman really can be. 
deep down to the mysteries of being alive, of knowing ourselves, to know what it is to live life on Earth. The women work themselves to a state of total exhaustion, until one by one they sprawl on chairs, panting. Giuliano comes in with a cart piled high with wedding gifts. Bella enters with him, also carrying gifts. The wedding presents have come. Now that everyone knows where to find you. Frankly, I've never seen so many gifts. So much silver. So many white things. So much satin ribbon. Do you think we could save the ribbon? Because I wouldn't mind having the ribbon. I haven't taken any yet. I was going to ask you if you don't want it. Because I have a collection of Barbies and Kens, and this ribbon would go with the whole ensemble so perfectly. This, um, this ensemble that I have, they are all arrayed together with their hands up in the air because they're doing the firewalking ceremony. And Barbie has her pink feather boa and her lime green outfit with the flowers at the waist and the gold bow at the bodice. And Ken is doing the lambada. So, of course, they all have Mai Tais. And they're just having a wonderful time. And their convertible is parked nearby so, you know, they can take off to see the sunset anytime they want. And when people come over and they see my collection... They just say, wow, because, because they can't believe I've just done it. But I think if that's who you are, you should just be who you are, whatever that is. Just do who you are, because that's why we're here. And if it's you, it can't be wrong. Some people like to be taken forcibly. If that's what they like, then that's okay. And if not, then not. I myself happen to like it. To have someone grab me, hold me down, to know they have to have me no matter what. It's not everyone's cup of tea. Everyone should be free to choose for themselves. Plus, some of these things are nice. Can we keep them? No, Olympia. Not if you aren't getting married. Maybe we should think about it. Some people go on honeymoons, too. Olympia. They go to places where there are hammocks and white sand, and people hold them by the waist and lift them up out of the water, splashing and laughing, and they dive underwater without the tops of their swimming suits. And the sun sets, and people Drink things through straws. <laughs> Olympia, that and they is... listen to the waves. And even make love in the afternoon. And even like Giuliano says, to be submissive. Because to me, submission is giving up your body and your mind and your emotions and everything to a someone who can accept all the responsibilities that go with that. And I myself enjoy the freedom that submission gives me. I like to be tickled and tortured, and I like to scream and scream and feel helpless and be totally controlled and see how good that makes someone else feel. It is, for me, the most natural high. It is so much better than taking drugs. You can just relax and enjoy yourself and feel alive and free inside. I think we're losing the point. Like, shouldn't we be leaving? You don't think they'll follow us wherever we go? 
I had a man once. I was walking along the Appiantica and he came along on his motor scooter and offered me a ride. A skinny, ugly fellow with dark hair and big ears and skin so slick and smooth, I wanted to put my hands on it. I got on the back of his motor scooter and ten minutes later, we were in bed together at his mother's house and I married him and we had our boys. All his life, he worked giving the gift of his labor to me and to our children. He died of a heart attack while he was out among the trees harvesting the olives. And if he came along now, I would get on the scooter again, just like the first time. Bella plumps down the wedding gifts she was carrying and goes out. Two more house guests enter, Eleanor and Leo with arms full of wedding gifts. Look, we have more presents. Are these things for you girls? We're not accepting gifts. Not accepting gifts? Who ever heard of such a thing? Oh, Leo, these girls. I suppose they're nervous before the wedding. We are not nervous. It's like Fiona says, we don't want wedding presents. Yet. Oh, darling, don't say that. There are so few occasions when people give you things, and things are good. A bottle of champagne, good food. A handsome man, a sunny day, life's pleasures. You can't have too many, really. When you are young, you think nothing of it. But the older you get, the more you think, oh, God, let me have more pleasures. Mm, don't take me away from this blessed earth and all its joys. A swim in the afternoon. Sex. A man with a nice nose, a good pair of shoulders, sky-blue eyes, or chocolate brown eyes. Who are you? Oh, house guests, dear. Guests of Piero, Eleanor and Leo. And you're the brides? No. We're still sort of thinking about it. How exciting for Piero to have a wedding for us. To me, it just makes a perfect weekend. I always say you need to embrace life. You need to let it in through every pore. We come this way but once, this brief, brief time on earth. We need to suck it in. The key thing is you'll be wanting to let go of fear. Throw yourself into life. Put all your fears and pain in a garbage can and attach the garbage can to a yellow balloon filled with helium and let it go. Love, love touches. Love fondles. Love listens to its own needs. What is it with you Italian guys? You spout this kind of bullshit and all you're ever thinking is, if I keep up this line of chatter, can I pinch some woman's butt? Well, isn't that the truth? And if you smile or simply return a look with a look, you find you've sealed your fate. You've fallen into life way over your head. Nothing is held back like a Roman fountain or splash and burble. And you find yourself carried off or even to walk through a crowd. You're in constant contact with all sorts of elbows and knees and souls and buttocks, touching and rubbing everything that in another minute will all be naked. 
I just think everything is shocking in Italy. And I'm not a Puritan. I mean, of course, I am a Puritan. But that's what I love about Italy. Because here, I am not a Puritan. I am alive. I love life. I take it in. It's tomatoes. It's sunshine. It's olive oil. It's paintings. It's men. Everything is as though a giant mother was squashing you to her breast. In Italy, to go out is to come home. I'd like to take it in. You know, I wouldn't mind, like, going swimming even. Plus, guys, I don't have a problem with guys. I don't have a problem with guys either. This is not about sunshine and olive oil. This is about guys hauling you off to their cave. Still, you remind me of my father. So kind and gentle, so full of enthusiasm. Lydia and Leo dance a long, long, slow, intimate, heartbreaking father-daughter dance. I knew a man once, so kind and generous. I was a boy, I was on a train going to Brindisi, and he said, I'm gonna marry you. He asked how far I was going. To Rome, I said. No, no, he said, you can't get off so soon. You need to go with me to Bologna. He wouldn't hear of my getting off in Rome. Or he would get off, too, and meet my family. Ooh, he gave me a pocket watch and a silk scarf and a little statue of a saint that he had picked up in Morocco. He quoted Dante to me and sang bits of Verdi and Puccini. He was trying everything he knew to make me laugh and enjoy myself. But finally... He seemed so insistent that I grew frightened of him. He never touched me, but he made me promise finally that I would come to Bologna in two weeks' time after I had seen my family. I promised him, because I thought he might not let me get off the train unless I promised. He gave me his address, which of course I threw away, and I gave a false address to him. And when I got off the train, I saw that he was weeping. And I've often thought, oh, well, maybe he really did love me. Maybe that was my chance. And I ran away from it. Because I, I didn't know it at the time. I think, for me, there's nothing quite like it when you know a person is attracted to you. And you look into his eyes and see your own reflection through the tears of joy in his eyes as you've always wanted to see yourself and never have since you were a child. Just sharing the daily things with another person, knowing you can count on him. And I know he loves me all the time, hugging me all day, treating me as though I were precious. You are a twit. I am not. I'll tell you something, Olympia. You're the kind of person who ends up at the bottom of a ravine somewhere with your underpants over your head. 
I'm trying to save your neck and you don't even get it. Oh, what did I say wrong? Do you think I like feeling this way? Do you think it feels good to feel bad all the time? Do you think I wouldn't rather just be a nice, happy, well-adjusted seeming person who can just take it as it comes and like it? But I can't just not be honest. Do you think that makes me happy? To spend my whole life on Earth, the only life I'm going to have, feeling angry. Fiona! She runs after Fiona. Nikos enters shyly, standing to one side. I'm sorry for the way Constantine seemed a little rude. Well, I shouldn't put it all on him. I'm sorry for the way that we've behaved. Thank you for saying so, Nikos. I thought... I've always liked you, Lydia. Seeing you with your sisters sometimes in the summers, when our families would get together at the beach. I thought you were fun and, and funny and really good at volleyball. Volleyball? Which I thought showed you have, a well, a natural grace and beauty and a lot of energy. Oh. And it's not that I thought I fell in love with you at the time or that I'd been like a stalker or something in the background all these years. No, no, I, I never thought but, but really, that. Over the years, I've thought back from time to time just how good it felt just, just to be around you. Oh. And so I thought, well, maybe this is an okay way to have a marriage. A marriage? To start out, not, not in a romantic way, but as a friendship. Oh? Because I admire, I admire you. And I thought, perhaps like, this might grow into something deeper and, and longer lasting. Oh. But maybe this isn't quite the thing you want. And really, I don't want to force myself on you. You should be free to choose. I mean, obviously. Thank you. Although, I think I should say what began as a friendship for me and as a sort of a distant, even inattentive regard has grown into a passion already. A passion? I don't know how or where it came from or when, but somehow the more I felt this admiration and, what well, pleasure... In you? Pleasure. Seeing you become the person that you are. I, th I think a thoughtful person and smart. And it, it seems to me funny and, and warm. Funny? And passionate. I mean, about the things I heard you talk about in school. A movie or, or playing the piano. I saw, I saw you one night by a cafe uh, by the harbor drinking almond nectar. And I saw that happiness made you raucous. I, I, myself, I didn't want to have a relationship that's cool or distant. I, I want a love, really, that's all-consuming, that, that, that consumes my whole life. Your whole life. And, and the longer the sense of you has lived with me, the more it has grown into a longing for you. I, so, so I wish you'd consider, maybe not marriage, because it's true, you hardly know me, but a, a kind of courtship. Courtship? 
or maybe you just I don't know go sailing with me or or see a movie. Gee, Nikos, you seem to talk a lot. I talk too much. I'm sorry. Sometimes it seems to me men get all caught up in what they're doing and they forget to take a moment and look around and see what effect they're having on other people. That's true. They uh, get on a roll. I do that sometimes. I, I wish I didn't. But, but I get started on a sentence and that leads to another sentence. And then uh, the first thing I know, I'm just trying to work it through, the logic of it, and follow it through to the end. Because I think if I stop or, or if I don't get through to the end before someone interrupts me, they won't understand what I'm saying. And mm. what I'm saying isn't necessarily wrong. It might be, but not necessarily. And if it is, I'll be glad to be corrected or change my mind. But if I get stopped along the way, I get confused. I don't remember where I was or how to get back to the end of what I was saying. I understand. And I, I think I think sometimes I scare people because of it. They think I'm so, like, determined, just barging ahead. Not really a sensitive person, whereas in, in truth, I am. I know. Do you know about dreams? Well, I have dreams. But do you know what they mean? I don't know. Maybe. I had this dream. I was going to a wedding of, of these old friends of mine, and part of the wedding, a sort of event, was an enormous pond that they had built. And I was late getting to the wedding, so I got someone to airlift me in, and I dove into the pond, but when I landed in the water, the walls of the pond collapsed, and it drained out, and 1,500 fish died, and everyone was looking for survivors, but I had to take Yeltsin to the Museum of Modern Art because I had to get to the gym. So when I took him into one of the exhibits and turned around to hug him goodbye, he turned to my mother and said, wow, look at that Julian Schnabel bridge. And there was an enormous sterling silver bridge designed by Julian Schnabel. So I walked my mother into the water to say goodbye to her. And this immense 25-story high tidal wave crashed over me and threw me up over the Julian Schnabel Bridge. And then I was completely alone in the middle of the ocean until I realized I had the cell phone tucked into my undies. So I phoned Olympia to come and get me, and she said, oh, perfect, I'll send Chopin, which is the name of her dog. I'll send Chopin over in the car, and then would you take him for a walk and leave the car on 8th Avenue? What do you think of that? Well... I think things happen so suddenly, sometimes. Um, sometimes. People don't want to fall in love. Because when you love someone, it's too late to set conditions. You can't say, I'll love you if you do this, or I'll love you if you change that. Because you can't help yourself. And then you have to live with whoever it is you fall in love with however they are, and just put up with the difficulties you've made for yourself. Because true love has no conditions. That's why it's so awful to fall in love. 
Lydia and Nikos dance a long, long, sweet dance. What would you like to do with me? I'd like to kiss you. Kiss you? But I don't even know you. Well, if you'd kiss me, then you'd know me. They kiss. They part. She looks at him and then turns and runs out. Oh, God. God. God damn it. He throws himself to the ground. God damn it. He gets up. Constantine enters, sees Nikos. Nikos whirls and throws himself to the ground again. God damn it! God damn it! Nikos gets up. Constantine saunters over to stand next to Nikos. This is how it is. Yes, this is how it is. God damn it! Nikos throws himself to the ground again. Constantine hesitates a moment, then throws himself to the ground too, in imitation of Nikos. Not that he, Constantine, has any particular agenda about it. Ed enters. He sees Nikos and Constantine and stands watching them out of curiosity. When I was a boy, I thought I had it made. My coach said to me, you could be good. Damn good. I had the instincts. I could hit the ball. I could hit the ball. I could run. I could run. My dad played football. My dad played football. Then everybody told me, you're just a jerk. This macho stuff, big man bullshit. And then I thought, oh, my instincts are off. My instincts are all off. I, I thought girls were like this, but they didn't. No, so I hung out with these guys. And it wasn't what I had in mind, and all the fun had gone. And pretty soon, I couldn't hit. I couldn't catch. I was slowing down. Now all three men are throwing themselves to the ground over and over and over in synchronization. You should have gone to your dad. You think no one could understand? But you can talk about these things to other men because these men, they understand. Because this is what it is to be a man. Men know about this because they have gone through it. And they remember, they know the pain. They don't want to talk about it. They try to hide it. But if you open up to them, they'll open up right back. Ed rips his shirt and throws it to the floor, picks up circular saw blades, one after another from a pile of saw blades and hurls them across the stage, yelling for no good reason other than that he has gotten himself worked up. He is hopping mad, throwing a saw blade, then jumping into the air and stomping back down on the ground and yelling. Girls are socialized, so they want a man to be older. Take charge, have money, have status, while they play hard to get. And boys are taught to feel stupid, feel inferior, not as smart as girls. Then hormones happen. A boy wants a girl. She plays hard to get. So a boy learns to talk big, develop a line, take all the risk, hit on women, not take the answer no, look for younger women, go for status jobs. How do the women handle men like this. They get more hostile, more aloof. They wear high heels. They diet too much. They hate themselves. 
They blame the men. The men hate them. It's a vicious circle. It's a vicious circle. So fuck these women. Fuck these women. I said to my dad, I don't want to do this. This isn't me. I felt so ashamed. He said, what do you mean? Your friends are out there. They're doing it. They like it. Just get in there. Don't be afraid. You can't get hurt. If you get hurt, it doesn't matter. That's how it is. You pick yourself up. Get on with it. What do you care? Because you belong. But I never did belong. It never was for me. Little League never was for me. The men stand panting, embarrassed, looking at one another. Ed snatches up his shirt from the ground and struts out in a huff. Constantine kicks the ground over and over, releasing the last spasms of rage like little aftershocks to finally settle down. Ah! People think it's hard to be a woman, but it's not easy to be a man. The expectations people have that a man should be a civilized person? Of course, I think everyone should be civilized. Men and women both. But when push comes to shove, say you have some bad people who are invading your country, raping your own wives and daughters, and now we see this happens all the time, all around the world. And then a person wants a man who can defend his home. You can say yes, it was men who started this. There's no such thing as good guys and bad guys, only guys. And they kill people. But if you are a man who doesn't want to be a bad guy, and you try not to be a bad guy, it doesn't matter. Because even if it is possible to be good, and you are good, when push comes to shove and people need defending, then no one wants a good guy anymore. Then they want a man who can fuck someone up, who can go to his target like a bullet, burst all bonds, his blood hot, howling up the bank, rage in his heart, screaming, with every urge to vomit, the ground moving beneath his feet, the earth alive with pounding, the cry hammering in his heart, like tanked up motors turned loose with no brakes to hold on them. This noxious world. And then when it's over, Suddenly, when this impulse isn't called for any longer, a man is expected to put it away, carry on with life, as though he didn't have such impulses, or to know that, if he does, he is a despicable person. And so it may be when a man turns this violence on a woman, in her bedroom, or in the midst of war, slamming her down, hitting her, he should be esteemed for this for informing her about what it is that civilization really contains. The impulse to hurt side by side with the gentleness. The use of force as well as tenderness. The presence of coercion and necessity. Because it has just been a luxury for her really not to have to act on this impulse or even feel it. To let a man do it for her. So that she can stand aside and deplore it. Whereas in reality... It is an inextricable part of the civilization in which she lives, on which she depends, that provides her a long life, longer usually than her husband, and food, and clothes, and dining out in restaurants, and going on vacations to the oceanside, so that when a man turns it against her, he is showing her 
a different sort of civilized behavior, really, that she should know and feel intimately as he does. To know the truth of how it is to live on earth. To know this is part not just of him, but also of her life. Not to go through life denying it. Pretending it belongs to another. Rather knowing it as her own. Feeling it as her own. Feeling it as a part of life as intense as love. As lovely in its way as kindness. Because to know this pain is to know the whole of life before we die, and not just some pretty piece of it. To know who we are, both of us together, this is a gift that a man can give a woman. Constantine finally leaves, pushing Nikos on his way out. Nikos hustles to catch up to Constantine and gives him a shove. Constantine shoves back. They leave shoving one another back and forth. Eleanor enters, with Olympia helping her, carrying a huge wedding cake. Let's... Put it here, dear. Over here. Does it have candles? No, dear, no. Usually it has a little bride and groom on top, but this time we need 50 little brides and 50 little grooms, so we will have them all around on all the different tiers, and it'll be like a huge party. Oh, like carnival. I would like candles. Oh, candles. You want candles. Yes, of course, love. Think nothing of it. You'll have candles if you want them. Fiona enters. We don't want a cake. What are you doing, Olympia, helping with this cake? Did someone order a cake? It was delivered to the house. I thought there were some conversations to be had. What's going on? Things are moving awfully fast. I ordered the cake. Thank you, Eleanor. Any time, dear. I'm just going to get some candles for the cake. <laughs> she leaves. So, you gave in to them, didn't you? I thought I might be able to strike an accommodation with your cousins. An accommodation? In the world I come from, it's not always all or nothing. Men learn to compromise all the time. After all, we have to go on living in the same world together. So, you get up every morning and say can I compromise with today? Surely there's a sociopath somewhere who wants to make a deal. Frankly, I could see why you wouldn't want to accept the proposal of your cousins. 50 grooms for 50 brides in its entirety. But it seemed to me that this young man, Nikos, was not such a bad fellow after all. They're all the same, just different manners. And then I thought it might be that there could be one or two others like Nikos. And that if one were to find them, they might be some room to negotiate. To negotiate? To see whether there might be one or two natural alliances. I'd like to love the person that I marry. <laughs> yes, we all would, to be sure. And sometimes we do, at first. Sometimes it lasts a little bit. I know people who've loved one another all their lives. I do, too. And yet, it's very rare. For the rest of us, we make do. Maybe some of us don't want to be married at all? I thought that could be an option too. And yet, for some of you, having a family is something you might long for as much as I do. To be close all your lives to another human being and, and to the children that you have together, coming through pleasures and pains over the years that bring you closer together, closer to knowing the deepest truths of life, that life is nothing for us, but an experience that we share with others. And 
if we want our experience of life to be deep and passionate, to have a sense of its unfolding over many years, to be in touch with the whole of it as we grow old, a lifelong marriage some of us will welcome. What are you saying? It seemed to me, you might say to these fellows, look, the deal as a whole is no good, but we'll take 50% of you or 10%. What? Of the 50 of you young women, I'm sure there must be some who still wish to be married to these young men. And that was the accommodation I tried to arrange. Take 50%. Take 10. This is insane. What is this? We'll make some package deal. Is Nikos a part of this? And what about Constantine? Is he part of the deal? Am I part of the deal or not? We didn't get that far. Didn't get that far. How long does it take to get that far? These men think they can do anything. I'm not afraid of men, Theona. In fact, I kind of like them. So? Maybe you think I shouldn't play their game, but I think I'm not a helpless victim. When I put on a short skirt and paint my toenails and dye my hair, I don't think that I'm a twit. I think men know what I'm doing, and they think it's fun. And I think it's fun too, and I think I'm an equal in the game that we play. I wouldn't mind some sort of negotiation. We don't accept your deal. You can tell these men we don't accept it. What we would accept is, if these men like, they can come to us one by one and beg us to marry them, give each one of us time to make up our minds, postpone the wedding day, let us consider and reconsider. Let us think about it when we are on our own ground, when we are strong and they are weak. Let us come to them one by one and say freely if we want to marry them. Otherwise, there's nothing to be said. Except nothing. We reject your offer. Theona. I speak for all of us. Theona, this... I'm sorry to tell you what I've been saying. This is the only accommodation I was trying to work out. In, in fact, Constantine won't have it either. And he speaks for all of your cousins. Your cousins will marry you whether you want to marry them or not. None of you has a choice. And Nikos? What did Nikos have to say? He let his brother speak for him. Oh. Isn't this just what I said? Yes. Well, this is why we came to you. Thank God. We were lucky enough to come here. Thank God we found you. I wish, in fact, you had found someone else. Because I can't protect you. I can't put my home at risk. My home and my family, my nephew, the daughters of my brothers. I can't do it. I'm sorry. For me, that was never an option. The wedding will take place today. The arrangements have been made. Who am I supposed to marry then? This is no different than it would be if we were lying in our beds and soldiers came through the door and took whoever it was they wanted. I am not going to do this. Ugh, what else can you do? What else can you do if your father won't protect you? Your country won't defend you. You flee to another country and no one there will take care of you. What is left? Nothing except to take care of yourself. We have no country. 
we have become our own country now where we make the laws ourselves. Right. Right. And when these men take us to bed on our wedding night, these men who have left us no alternative, these men who force themselves on us, we will meet force with force. And we will kill them. One by one. What? Kill them? Kill them? I can't kill them. Are you crazy? Would you kill them if they were soldiers coming through your bedroom door? Of course I would. But to kill them? We can't kill them. What choice did they give you but to stop them the only way they ever will be stopped? All these men understand is force. But to kill them? At least maybe we don't want to kill them all. Maybe some of them are good. How can you say that? Here's how you can tell. None of them objected to Constantine. Not one of them stood up against him and said, No, Constantine, let's take this deal. Or at least, let's negotiate. Let's talk to these sisters and see if one or two of them wants to marry us and let the rest go free. Let those go free who don't want to marry. Take the risk that some of us will be rejected. No. No one stood up against him. All of his brothers are silent partners. Would you want to live with someone who just gives in like this? Would you ever be safe with a person as weak as this? No. They have all gone along with this. They have made their decision. The only question is, will you defend yourself and defend your sisters? Lydia? Lydia? Yes. Olympia? Yes. We have a pact then. Not one groom will live through his wedding night. Not one. Are we agreed? Yes. Yes. Eleanor enters. I'm going to help you girls get dressed for the wedding. Eleanor helps the women get into their petticoats and dresses, veils and garters and shoes and powder and lipstick and rouge. Sometimes I feel as though I'm standing on a thousand dinner plates on the side of a muddy hill, and my job is to keep from sliding down the hill. Nothing seems to be working out. I was hoping for a wedding dress from Monique Lullier, but back home in Greece, all I could find was an Alvina Valenta, not even a Vera Wang. And I've been planning all my life, or most of it, for something with little spaghetti straps and some lace right on the bodice, and little lace flowers just where the straps join the bodice. And people said sometimes you just have to settle. But I don't want to. 
I don't think I have to settle. I don't see why, at least on my wedding day, I can't have things exactly the way I want them. <laughs> Never mind, dear. You're going to love the way you look by the time we're finished. What lovely faces you all have. I think myself, if I'd had such a complexion, I'd have been married seven times by now. <laughs> what I always say is, if both of you are physically fit, you should lie face downward on the bed, legs hanging over the edge, and let him help you raise your legs and wrap them around his waist or shoulders, or if you like, you can start on the floor and let him lift your ankles while you walk around the floor on your hands, because I think you'll find this makes for very deep penetration. Some say the very deepest. Probably this is how people feel when they're drowning. Now, I suppose you might be saying to yourselves... Before we make the final decision, let's ask ourselves, do we have similar backgrounds? Do we agree on our religious beliefs? Do we have the same ideals and standards and tastes? Are we real friends? Do we have a real happiness in being together, talking or just doing nothing together? Do we have a feeling of paired unity In stately fashion, the grooms enter in a line, wearing tuxedos, 50 grooms led by Constantine and Nikos. And our three brides take their places, and they are followed by their 47 sisters, all in wedding dresses, who enter in a stately manner. Finally, Eleanor cuts the wedding cake and hands a piece of cake to Olympia, who feeds it to Ed, crushing it playfully into his mouth. He smiles at this, takes her in his arms, and dances with her. Lydia does the same with the cake with Nikos, and they dance. Fiona does the same, but mashing the whole piece of cake all over Constantine's face. Constantine retaliates by picking Fiona up and shoving her head first into the wedding cake. She recovers and wrestles him head first into the cake. He takes off his jacket as though to start a real fight with her. She pulls up her wedding dress to show her bare butt to him and to do a seductive, hostile butt dance while she faces upstage. Constantine, taking Fiona's dance as a seductive challenge, undoes his tie unbuttons his shirt and joins the dance with Fiona. As her dance gets increasingly lewd and hostile, he takes off his shirt, and then his shoes, and then his pants, until he is doing a complete abandoned striptease while the others have moved into throwing themselves to the floor and throwing themselves down on top of one another, or throwing one another to the floor and them jumping on the one who lies there. And of all the brides and grooms, some are burning themselves with cigarettes, lighting their hands on fire and standing with their hands burning throwing plates and smashing them, throwing kitchen knives, taking huge bites of food and having to spit it out at once, vomiting. One groom lying across two chairs, his head on one, his feet on the other, dropping bowling balls on his stomach and letting them roll onto the floor. One groom on his back on the ground, a board filled with nails resting on his naked chest, another groom putting an anvil on the board and then hammering the anvil with a sledgehammer. One groom with his feet locked into moon boots, nailed to the ground, and he is rocking violently back and forth. One bride slamming her head repeatedly in a door. Eleanor screaming, running from side to side and smashing plates and cups. Some of the wedding guests are enjoying themselves, so that, as at any wedding reception, there is also joy and warm sentiment and sentimentality. People happy, 
young people in love, quiet conversations, laughter, older people remembering happy times. Leo reappears and dances with the brides one after another as though he is their father. It may be that Constantine is the groom who should have his feet in the moon boots, so that he is naked now, rocking back and forth violently, when Theona comes to him with a kitchen knife and stabs him in the heart so that blood flows over his chest and stomach and onto her white dress. And the other brides pull out kitchen knives and murder their husbands one by one, all of them splashing their white wedding dresses with blood. And one of them circling round and round the stage, holding his crotch, and he too bleeds and bleeds, circling dizzily, finally coming to his knees, continuing on his knees. And all this while, Lydia and Nikos are off to one side, making love. All the violent action on stage has subsided. Fiona drags Constantine's body downstage and throws it into the orchestra pit. People lie or sprawl, exhausted. Only Lydia and Nikos are moving, gently, with one another. Piero enters with Giuliano, a cup of espresso in his hand, and walks among the bodies in shock and dismay. Bella enters from the other side. People begin to stir. Giuliano, me dispacima. Piero. You should have stopped this. What? what? What could I have done? Piero. Lydia? Lydia, who is that with you? This is Nikos, my husband. Your husband? Yes. You didn't kill him? I love him, Theona. You broke your word. I couldn't do it. We all agreed what we were going to do. I love him. You love him? I'm sorry, Theona. I couldn't help myself. You go behind our backs. You break your promise. You betray your sisters and you're sorry. In any civilized society, you would be put on trial and hanged probably or electrocuted. Now, now, let's just... Stop where we are. We are not finished here. Let's just slow things down. Everyone deserves a fair trial after all. Oh, right. Right, okay, we'll put Lydia on trial. And we will be the jury. You'll be the jury. And I will be the judge. The judge? You? Yes, who else? You want to put it in the hands of some judge chosen by the business associates of your brother? I don't think so. I will be the judge. Is that okay with you? Yes. Good. I agree to that. I agree to that too. All right then. Betrayal is the charge. What Lydia did in any other country would be treason. I love him. I have nothing more to say. Olympia, how could you just kill someone? You're, you're just a girl. I was confused. How could you be confused? I thought you said it was a good idea, Lydia. Remember, you said you agreed. I had to agree with the argument the way Fiona put it. But if we live in a world where it's not possible to love another person, I don't want to live. All oh, this talk of love. 
In the real world, if there is no justice, there can be no love. Because there can be no love that is not freely offered. And it cannot be free unless every person has equal standing. First comes justice. And if there is no justice, then those who are being taken advantage of have every right to take their oppressors. To stand in their way and drive them across the fields like frightened horses. To set fire to their houses, to ruin everything that comes to hand, to hurl their corpses into wells where once there were houses. To leave rubble, smoldering wood piles, to leave shattered stones, empty streets, and silence. No living thing, no bird, no animal, no dogs, no children, not one stone left standing on another. Rather, a wilderness of stones. And see if finally then a lesson has been learned. Because there are times when this is justified. There are times, or you may not like it, when this is all that human beings may rightly do. And to shrink from it is to be less than human. You know, everything you say may be right, Theona, but I have to ask myself, if it is, then why don't I feel good about it? I have to somehow go on my gut instincts because sometimes you can convince yourself in your mind about the rightness of a thing and you can try to find fault with your reasoning, but you can't because no matter how you turn it over in your mind, it comes out right. And so you think, I know it's right, but I don't think it is, or I think it's right, but I know it isn't. And you could end up thinking you're just a moron or some sort of deficient sort of thing. But really, there are some things when you want to know the truth of them, you have to use not just your mind or even your mind and your feelings, but your neurons or your cells or whatever to make some decisions because they're too complicated. They need to be considered in some larger way and in the largest way of all. I know I have to go with my whole being when it says, I love him and he loves me and nothing else matters, even if other things do matter, even quite a lot. Even if I'm doing this in the midst of everyone getting killed, I can't help myself and I don't think I should. Probably this is how people end up marrying Nazis, but I can't help it. You should. You should. I couldn't. Lydia, if I had known it was okay to do what you did, I might have loved someone too. I was just, I know everyone says this, but the truth is I was just following orders in a way. I should probably kill myself now that I see the kind of person that I am. That's enough now. That's enough. I am ready with my verdict. This is what I have to say. You did a dreadful thing, you women, when you killed these men. What could be worse than to take another's life? And yet, you came to us, to my family and to me, 
to help you and we failed you. We shared the blame with you. What else could you have done? You women made your own laws because you had no others to protect you. This was your social contract. And Lydia, inner betrayal of your pact, imperiled all of you. I understand what you say. And yet, you cannot condemn your sister, no matter what. She chose love. She reached out, she found another person, and she embraced him. She couldn't know when she did, whether all the hopes of her childhood for true love and tenderness for a soulmate for all her life were destined for disillusion. Still, she reached out. And if we cannot embrace another, what hope do we have for life? What hope is there to survive at all? This is why love trumps all. Love is the highest law. It can be bound by no other. Love of another human being, man or woman, it cannot be wrong. Does this mean every woman must get married? Not at all. A woman might want another woman. Sometimes a man prefers a man. But to love, this cannot be wrong. So Lydia, she cannot be condemned. And that's the end of it. And as for you, there will be no punishment for you either. Even though you may have done wrong, there will be no justice. For the sake of healing for life to go on, there will be no justice. Now, Piero, it will be your job to keep all of this out of the hands of courts and judges. That much you can do. And now, you girls, all alone in the world, what will you do? I have to tell you, I wish you would stay here with me. I would take you in and care for you as my own daughters. That would make me happy. I like a strong woman. And I like a woman who sticks with her sister. You'll see. One day you'll find a good man. Or not. A woman doesn't always need a man. I myself, I no longer need a man, except, of course, my son Piero, who stays with me forever, and Giuliano, who takes such good care of me. For we all live together and come to embrace this splendid variety of life on earth, good and bad, sweet and sour. Take it for what it is, the glory of life. This is why at weddings, everybody cries out of happiness and sorrow, regret and hope combined. Because in the end, of all human qualities, the greatest is sympathy. 
For clouds, even. Or snow. For meadows, for the banks of ditches. For turf bogs, or rotten wood. For wet ravines. Silk stockings, buttons. Bird nests, humming birds. Prisms. Jasmine. Orange flower water. Lessons for the fruit. A quill pen. A red umbrella. Some faded thing. Anchorchiefs made of lawn. Of cambric. Of Irish linen. Of Chinese silk. Dog's blood. The dung beetle. Goat dung. A mouse cut in two. Oh, in spring the dawn, in summer the nights, in autumn the evenings. In winter the early mornings, the burning firewood, piles of white ashes, the ground white with frost. Oh, in spring, spring water welling up. The hum of the insects, the human voice. Piano virtuosos, orchestras. The pear tree. The sunlight you see in water as you pour it from a pitcher into a bowl. The earth itself. Dirt. Lydia and Nikos kiss, and a hundred flashbulbs go off for a wedding picture. A receiving line is instantly constituted, and Lydia and Nikos make their way down the line, all the guests kissing the bride and shaking the groom's hand and talking among themselves and fussing with their clothes. Nikos stops for an earnest conversation with Piero about how sometimes men don't even want to get married, because they find it hard enough getting through the day on their own all by themselves, and the burdens of life are so heavy and the demands so great, they think, how can I take on the responsibility of someone else, too? Not that they would take on the responsibility entirely, but to the extent they do, because they have made a promise to see life through together. And sometimes a man could just cry, things seem so hard, but when you fall in love, what choice do you have? At the last moment, everyone turns front. A hundred flash cameras go off again. The family photo is taken. Lydia, Lydia, throw your bouquet and your garter, your garter. Lydia and Nikos, the bride and groom, exit up the center aisle to the music. Nikos's clothing is disheveled and he looks sheepish and uncertain, even frightened, maybe even filled with foreboding. In fact, they both look shell-shocked and devastated as Nikos exits up the aisle with Lydia. Fireworks. <laughs>